So we're in a series right now talking about the B attitudes. And for those of you that don't know, the B attitudes are kind of like the preamble to the Sermon on the Mount. If you look in your Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Matthew records the Sermon on the Mount in its entirety. So in the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 5, you begin to see the, the record of the Sermon on the Mount. <clears throat> and this is one of the most important things and one of the most important sermons that you'll ever hear Jesus talk about. It's one of the complete ones that we have. And it's him explaining what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. And this is the opening of that. This is, this is the beginning. He, he actually, when he starts talking about the Beatitudes, he gives two things. He says every one of them starts with blessed. Blessed are, and then he gives a, a group of people or a, a people that are, are going through something, and then after that, he gives a reward. So just a show of hands real quick. How many people would like to be blessed? Anybody? Okay. And how many people would like to get a reward from heaven? Anybody? Anybody would like to get a reward from heaven, right? So I think we should all pay attention as Christians that, hey, Jesus said, blessed are, and then he turns around and says, and they will receive these types of rewards. So I think it's something that we should all pay attention to. And we've been going through this series and seeing all the different things that Jesus has said uh, related to the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the exact location of the Sermon on the Mount, we're not sure the exact location. However, we believe it to be somewhere around here called the Horns of Hattin in Israel near the Sea of Galilee. And what Jesus would do is he would sit on the back part of this hill and it would create a natural amphitheater to where his voice would carry down to the people that were there. In fact, in the scriptures, it tells us that when he saw the crowd, so we know that there, there was lots of people there, and there were lots of people involved when Jesus began teaching. So this is almost like his, his coup de grace. This is the thing we believe Jesus multiple times went through with the Sermon on the Mount. He probably taught th these principles multiple times over his ministry, because the gospel doesn't change, right? And somebody say amen. The gospel doesn't change. So Jesus is teaching these things probably multiple times, and Matthew this time manages to get the whole thing down. Now, as we begin this morning, I want to remember what we covered the last few weeks. So, starting Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, again, lots of people, he went up on the mountainside, like you guys saw in the picture, and he sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. And he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we talked about week one, that's, that's being humble. That if you're not able to be poor in spirit, you're not able to recognize that you have what you have because God gave it to you, not because of how you know, great you are and how skilled you are and how effective you are. If you don't recognize that, that you're in the position you're in, both in your families and your relationships and your job because your heavenly Father placed you there, you're going to miss out on a lot. And in fact, if you can't apply that first one, that poor in spirit, if you can't apply that first, you probably won't be able to get the rest of them. The second one he taught us was, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And the word comforted means to draw close to. That's the Greek word that Jesus, that they used there when Matthew was writing it down, that, that, to draw close to. So there's a sense in which only people who are going through extreme pain and mourning, they experience God like nobody else can. And those of you that have gone through those incredibly difficult times in your life, you know what I'm talking about. And so Jesus teaches that the next he teaches are blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And we always assume meekness equals weakness, but we talked that week that it's not the case. 
that actually as Christians, and particularly as Christian leaders, that we as meekness and gentleness are supposed to place others above ourselves, that we don't have the right to power up, to pump up, to use our authority, to use the words of Jesus, Lord over those that were around. Instead, we serve. Jesus continues, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And Pastor Megan did a great job talking about the importance of righteousness in our life. And then last week, unpaid staff John um, covered, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And didn't he do a good job talking about that? In fact, that was a good job. I tell you what, like I said last week, that means a pastor can take a few Sundays off every now and again. Get somebody preached like that hanging around. But he says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And as we learned last week, that if you expect mercy from God, then you better have mercy in your life. So Jesus, and, and if you've paid attention, these, these attitudes are so countercultural. These attitudes just flip culture right on its head and makes it so difficult for us to, to, to kind of level with because we don't want to be that way, right? I mean, let's be honest. How many of you guys wanted to be merciful? Nobody wanted to be merciful. How many people truly want to be humble? No. We want to be haughty. We want to be big, prideful. Look how good and how great I am, right? That's, that's what we want. That's where we naturally sit as humans, and instead, Jesus says, no, these are attitudes that we should have, and we, that they're totally counter-cultural. Now, as we begin this week, I want to ask you a question. It's a question that is very, very easy to answer. Have you ever met someone that you just don't trust? And you don't really have an exact reason, like there's not that time that they, you know, messed you over or, you know, kind of lied to you outright or anything like that. Not in that sense, but they're just, you know, it's just those people you just don't trust. You can't quite put your finger on it, but you just don't feel like they're completely being honest with you. You don't feel like they're being completely upfront. In fact, they're the people that you feel like there's kind of a smoke screen or kind of a fog around them. And, and when they say that they want to do something for you or they want to do something, you feel like you may only have half the story. You may be other things in the background working around you that, that you're not really sure of. I mean, we've all run into these people before. You don't think they're being completely honest with their intentions? And again, they didn't outright lie to you. Maybe they did, and that's why you don't trust them. They tend to be these type of people. But you know people like this. You know people like this that you just don't trust because you have an issue trusting their intentions, and you're not comfortable trusting them. And here's, else, here's what else I know. You don't want to do business with them. You don't want to hang out with them outside of work. You don't want to invite them over to your birthday party. You don't want to hang out with them in really any capacity outside of what you have to. You don't want those people to be your kids' teachers. You don't want those people to be your kids' Sunday school teachers. You don't want those people to be pastors. You don't want those people to be politicians. Too late for that one. But you don't, sorry. These are, you don't want those people in the positions in your life that mean anything, right? I mean, you don't want to marry somebody like that. You don't want your husband to start behaving that way. You don't want your wife to start behaving that way. And the truth is, it's because you don't trust them. 
It's an integrity issue. You don't feel like that you can trust them. They aren't people of integrity. In fact, you're uncomfortable because, and you may never have thought, it this, thought about it this way, and I'm just kind of putting words around already things you've experienced, you know that they'll compromise their values and their integrity in order to make an extra buck, in order to get ahead, in order to have more influence. And you don't want to be around those people. And here's something else I, I know about you. You don't want to be one of those people. No, ooh, of course not. You don't want to be one of those people. Well, the tension here is if you're a Jesus follower, you can't afford to behave that way. If you believe in Jesus and Jesus is the Lord of your life, then you, don't, you can't afford to behave that way because it will undermine your influence and your ability to witness in the world and it will mess up your purpose that God has for you. So you, you can't afford to have that in your life. And then if you're not a Jesus follower, then you're looking around and you're like, yeah, man, these guys are kind of crazy. I don't really believe what they believe, but they're good people, right? If, if you're not a Jesus follower then this is just something you kind of understand intuitively that you shouldn't be one of those people, that you just don't want to be one of those people. And, and the tension that I always run into when I teach about this topic is we have a tendency to make excuses. We do. We have a tendency to make excuses. So before I introduce the topic and we get into what Jesus talked about, we have a tendency to make excuses for it. He gives, and we give reasons why our behavior doesn't line up with what Jesus says and what Jesus demonstrates. And we go, yeah, 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 but she said, so I behave that way. Yeah, 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 he said, so I behave that way. Yeah, yeah, no, no, Brandon, I understand, but I mean, have you worked for my boss? I mean, are you married to my husband? Are you married to, I mean, come on, Brandon, do you have my teenagers, right? And thank God I don't, but um, I don't have teenagers yet, which I'm rejoicing every day so far. Um, Till later, uh, Grayson's going to be awesome. So <laughs> the, the point is that we, we struggle with these things, and we make excuses and we backpedal because we sit back and we have an excuse for why we behave the way we do. Even though it's unchristlike, even though it's not in line with the gospel, even though it's not in line with who, what we say we believe, we backpedal and we make excuses. So I have an exercise I want us to do today. To get our minds and get our hearts right, to be able to hear this very uncomfortable conversation that we're about to have and to hear the uncomfortable words of Jesus. In order for it to make a difference, you can't sit in your seat and say, I don't do that. I don't do that. Right, which is what sometimes happens when we hit a difficult topic is when we read in the Gospels. We read a difficult topic and we go, "That's for those other people, not for me." Right? I don't do that. I don't behave that way. I don't act that way. Right? So this is this is the exercise I want us to do. Instead of sitting in your seat and saying, "I don't do that," I want you to repeat after me, "I probably do that." All right? Yeah. All right, one more time. I probably do that. Okay, now that our hearts are in the right place and we're ready to hear the words of Jesus, because initially when we start covering this, you're going to backpedal and you're going to say, I'm not one of those people. But if you sit in that position and you're not willing to evaluate yourself honestly, you'll never make any improvements. And this is what you don't realize you're doing is you're setting a wall between you and your Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit won't be able to work through you because you've got a wall. And any time a topic comes up that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, you go, I'm not one of those people. And, you're not a and he's not able to work with you. So 
with that, instead of backpedaling, let's lean in and, again, just think, I probably do that. So Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, the next attitude we're going to look at. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. So this is, again, one of those that we grab a hold of and we think, oh, yes, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. What does that mean? I don't know, but it looks great on a coffee mug. I'm not sure, but I just want to frame it and put it in my office. Why? So people talk to me and know how spiritual I am. But what does it actually mean to be pure in heart? Well, Pure in heart, the Greek words that are used there, a katharos cardia, which you can understand the word cardiac, where we get the word cardiac from. Katharos cardia, which literally translates pure heart. Blessed are the pure heart. Now again, this is one of those that's kind of hard to understand, but think about it like this. Pure in this sense means unmixed. In that culture, if you wanted something pure, You wanted pure silver. It was worth way more than mixed. You wanted pure gold. It was worth way more than mixed. If you wanted water, you wanted pure water. You didn't want water mixed with whatever else they want, right? If you got wine, you wanted pure wine. You didn't want something that was mixed and matched. You wanted something that was totally, totally pure. So Jesus leans into language they understand, and he goes, you guys know you guys want pure stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, no, we want pure stuff. Okay, good. Um, God wants you to have a pure heart. And we go, well, what does that mean? I, I, don't, I don't even know what that means. Be, somebody that has a pure heart is somebody that has true and honest intentions. That you don't have to worry that there's something extra going on in the background. I, I've worked with a guy before that makes people uncomfortable, and I've had people come up and ask me, like, hey, w- when you were working with this guy, what, what did you know? And I told him, like, he's not, he wasn't a bad guy. It's just the nature of things. And I just said, hey, when, whatever's going on, there's probably something else happening in the background. You don't know the whole story, and you probably never will. And you know people like that in your life, too. And Jesus says, those aren't people that are going to see God because they have a smokescreen. They have another angle to work with. They're not actually hanging out with you because they want to hang out with you. They're hanging out with you because they need you to sign that business deal. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about. They're not hanging out with you because they actually want to be part of what you're doing. There's a selfish motivation there. And Jesus says those people that are pure in heart, those are the people that come over and hang out at your house or help you move your house just because they want to help you move your house. They just love you and care for you, and they want to be there for you. At the end of the day, these are the people that are trustworthy, that you sit around and I sit around and we say, man, they're just great people. Right, And you just sit around and go, man, when they say they're going to do something, they're going to do it. When they show up, man, they're going to show up. When they do it, they just, they're such genuine people. They're so wholesome. They're so great to be around. Right, That's exactly what Jesus is saying. And those people, Jesus says, they will be able to see God because they're trustworthy. Again, this is such an important part for Jesus. This is so important to what he has to say that in the very next chapter, in chapter 6, he actually outlines how dangerous it is to have hidden, uh, hidden motives behind your actions, particularly as a Christian, as a Jesus follower. So, Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus is still in the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount spans a couple chapters. So still in the Sermon on the Mount, and right after the, the, introduction, to the, the, the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, he gives the next thing. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. 
Don't, don't do things so that people see it. Don't behave in such a way that your actions aren't, your motives behind your actions aren't real. Don't behave in such a way that you sit back and do things so people talk about how righteous and how great you are, right? Don't serve in the kids' ministry because you want people to comment on how good you are with kids or because you want people to, to see it and give you a job in a school or something. Don't sit back and serve on the worship team here in the church just because you want people to tell you how good your voice is or how great you are on drums or how great you are on guitar or how great you are on the violin or whatever other instrument you play. Don't serve in those places. Don't, don't serve in the, the cafe area and the greeting team just so you can hear how people say how selfless you are. And serve on the setup team and show up early and go home late and look around. And so people look and say, man, dude, you're so selfless. Thank you so much. Don't put, <laughs> this is going to offend some of y'all. Don't put your Bible in your house open that you never read when the next door neighbor comes over because you want to seem righteous. Oh, y'all don't do that. Y'all don't do that. Don't turn worship music on when the pastor comes over and you don't ever listen to worship music outside of that. Speaking from experience, y'all, not in this church, in other churches. Anyway, those people, those attitudes, don't, Jesus says don't do those things. Don't do things because there's a hidden motive behind it. And if, because if you do, at the end of it, you become untrustworthy. And, and not only that, the implications are actually worse. The implications are, are far worse. Jesus tells us the rest of the verse. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. That if you behave in that way to just get clout or to just get you know, all the acknowledgement here on the earth, or to get all the glory here on the earth, or the honor here on the earth, Jesus says that's going to be all you get. Because your heavenly Father is not going to have a reward for you. There's no reward from God when you behave that way. He just looks at your good deeds and all the good things you do and goes, yeah, that's cool. That's it. I mean, what you want. You got everything you wanted. I mean, you did it so that people would say how great you were anyway. They said how great you are. Congratulations, you made it. There's no spiritual reward. In fact, Jesus illustrates it the, next, the very next verse. He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. And he's talking about generosity because how many of you know that's the one people want to talk about the most? That people just, you just, people got to know when you're generous with somebody, right? I mean, they've got to know when you gave up your weekend to do something or when you gave up some time to behave, to, to go over and do something for somebody else. Jesus is going right after that. And he says, no, 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 no. When you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Jesus is like, don't do that. In fact, your goal is so much bigger than that. It's so much more important than that. I mean, come on, how shallow can you be? Because remember, hold on, before you start backpedaling, I probably do this. I probably do this. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Whatever you got, the praise you got, the reward you got, that's it. There is no extra. There's no extra blessing coming behind it because you did it with, for the, wrong, with the wrong intentions. 
He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. And he uses an illustration to which many of us can pay attention to. How on earth can this thing do something that this thing doesn't know about? Jesus, he knows that that's not possible. But he uses that as an example and as an illustration because he wants us to make it such an effort. Because we want to sit back and do something so that it's in such a degree that we are doing it for the right reasons. We're not just behaving a certain way because we want to get something from somebody. Or we want to get something out of a situation. Or we want to, you know, extort is a hard word, but that's essentially what it can be sometimes. And Jesus says, no, you need to live in such a way that you, when you do something good, you do it with your right hand, and your left hand doesn't know what's going on. You're not interested in the praise. You're not interested in doing it in front of people. If people see it, fine, but you aren't trying to do that kind of thing. And he says, then your father, then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. When your heavenly father sees what is done in secret, that's when the reward comes. When your heart is in the right place. When you are unmixed in your motivations. When there's no thing operating outside of the sphere and you're like, man, if I could just get them to go here, maybe, you know, maybe I'd take them out to eat and then we do this and maybe we can get, I can get this thing, right? Or maybe they'll be my friend if I behave this way, right? Or maybe if I do this or I act this way. And again, you know people like this. You don't want to be around them. You can't trust them. They're not trustworthy. They're not people of integrity. And God says, and Jesus says, that those are the people that won't see God. That's what he said in, in, the, in the Beatitude. He said, they won't see God. Now, allow me, allow me to give a practical example. We'll stick with the idea of giving and generosity because that's what, that's what Jesus did. So, um, so like when you give here at the church or you give anywhere else, in fact... Uh, when we're as Jesus followers called to be cheer, willing and cheerful, those are the things that, that Paul out, outlines is that givers are supposed to be willing and cheerful. So not given under compulsion or anything like that. So if somebody comes in, gives a big emotional thing, and you give, that's not, not really what the point is. And then, and then again, if, if, if you're not joyous and you're reluctantly giving or generous, then that's not the point either. Paul says it's supposed to be joyous and willing. And we talk about how God blesses generosity. I mean, we talk about it here all the time, that whether it's generosity in the church or generosity in your life outside of the church, wherever it is, that where you're generous, your Heavenly Father is generous with you. We talk about that often. Now, the equivalent to what Jesus is talking about is uh, if you write a really big check and then the offering bucket comes by and you just make sure you kind of hold it a little longer, before you put it in, right? Or you, just, just, just a little bit lower, and, and you kind of look over because you kind of want them to see, right? Like, or you're one of those people that, that give, and we don't have people in the church like this, but um, you've seen these people before. They start whipping out bills, right? And not like that, but like, okay, <laughs> calm down. We're in church, all right? Not doing that. But you see people like that where they whip out like 120, another 20, another 20, another 20, and you're like, bro, you're just visiting, homie. And they're like, yeah, but I'm generous. Like, what are you talking about? Like, that doesn't make it, you're doing it. And you're, then if you're generous, then sit down, homie. Quit standing and telling people you're about to give this much. It doesn't make sense. And Jesus sits back and says, 
That's the same thing. That when you go around and you behave in such a way or you make sure everybody knows that you gave up your weekend to, to, to do serve day. And you make sure everybody knows that you're, you're going out of your way and you're buying extra stuff for the school supply drive. Or you go out of your way to make sure everybody knows how much extra time you give to prepare for the service on Sunday, how much extra time you give to do whatever it is that you do here in the church. Or say you serve in a nonprofit. And you go and serve at a nonprofit, and you want everybody to know all the extra work you do for Choices Women's Center. You want everybody to know. They need to know. Why? Because they, they need to understand who you are. Jesus says those people that behave that way, that need the attention, they'll get the attention. But it's not going to be from him. It's going to be from everybody around them. It's not going to be from him. When you behave a certain way, with mixed intentions and mixed motives, you are unpure. And, and, and I didn't say this. Jesus did. Jesus did. And, it, and it's, it, it is so hard to hear. Your Heavenly Father won't reward you for that. And in fact, the words of Jesus, you won't even see God. You won't recognize Him. Because the heart of the matter is your heart. It's not the amount you give. It's not the amount of money, the time, anything like that. It's not, it's, it's not what you're doing. It's why you're doing it. It's not what you're doing. It's why you're doing it. Because the heart of the matter is your heart. That's what Jesus is talking about. And he illustrates it again in the very next few verses talking about prayer. He says, don't babble on like the pagans out on the street corners using big words and big, loud, booming voices so that everybody pays attention and looks at them and sees how spiritual they are. Jesus says, don't pray like that. Pray to your father in, in private. Pray to your father in, in silence. Like, do, go, go do somewhere where not everybody's going to see you. And then he says it with fasting, too. He says, when you fast, don't fast so that people see how much you are. Oh, I'm, so, I'm so holy. I'm not eating anything. Jesus says, no, you should actually put uh, oil on your face, which is what they did in the time to, to kind of hydrate your face. Don't go rubbing olive oil on your face now. It would be strange. But Jesus, that's what they would do. Jesus said, no, you should actually do everything you can to make sure that you're not trying to get extra attention for your actions. You should just do it from a position of unmixed motivations. You should do it with a pure heart. And again, we struggle with these people that don't do it that way because they can't be trusted. They're not pure, and we can't believe, and you can't believe that they truly care about you. You can't believe that they truly care about the thing they're talking about, because you know it. As soon as they start talking, you feel a little uncomfortable, and then before you know it, by the end of it, the whole story is about them. It's not about God. It's not about the thing they were doing. It's, the whole story becomes completely about them, and you don't like to deal with those people at all. Let's be honest. You know someone like that, right? You know when somebody is behaving that way. You know when they're just helping themselves, they are just helping you because they want something from you. You know that. Your Heavenly Father knows it too. When you're only doing things to get the blessing from Him, you think you, think you fooled Him? You think like you're the first person? 
that he's never run into this before. We think that somehow if we can just hide our intentions from our Heavenly Father, that then we'll just get the blessing. And Jesus says that behavior, that behavior you won't see God. The implications, in fact, of that behavior are so much worse than a failed business deal. They're so much worse than a failed relationship. They're so much worse than any other failure that comes out of these behaviors anyway. But if you do that with your Heavenly Father, Jesus says, you're just not going to see God. The implication is way worse than just having a hiccup in your relationship or hitting a bump on the road. And you just won't see God. So you can do everything, and this is what makes people so uncomfortable, because there's Christians that sit in churches right now today that are doing this and behave this way. Doing everything right. Giving, serving, reading the Bible, praying, all that stuff. But the heart isn't right. They're not doing it for the right reasons. And there's people that sit around all over the place and do exactly that. And you'll do everything that we tell you to do. You know, get involved, start serving, be part of a a small group, bring your kids to youth group, put them in kids ministry where we can teach them about Jesus. You'll do all those things. Right? You'll do all of the, you'll hit your little box, your little checklist, but at the end of the day, you won't have spiritual renewal in your life. Why? Because the heart of the matter is your heart. Your heart is the problem. You're not doing it for the right reason. You're doing it for you. You're not doing any of it because you care about God, or you love God, or you're appreciative of what Jesus has done for you. You're not living that way. You're living in such a way that it's all for you. That it's all about you. And that I just, these are just tech marks I gotta do, things I've gotta, ways I gotta behave, things I gotta do here. So let me ask you this Are your motives pure? What are your motives? Are they pure? Because this is why it's important. Nobody starts out wanting to behave that way. Nobody starts out and says, you know what, I'm going to be one of the untrustworthy people in the world. Plato didn't come out as easy as I thought it was going to. You didn't, nobody starts out that way. You don't start out in your marriage thinking, I want to be untrustworthy. You don't start out in your job thinking, I'm going to be one of those people. It doesn't happen that way. Thank you. should have loosened them up before the sermon, but I didn't know that was a thing. So, and this is why it's so important, okay? This is why it's so significant that we don't get into the habit of doing it. We don't get into the habit of mixing our motivations. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, because those are the people that are going to see God. Those people that have unmixed motivations, those people that are unmixed, they are pure in the way they behave. They're pure in their motives. They're pure in all of that. Pure in heart. Those are the people that are going to see God. Because this is how it starts. Everybody starts completely pure. Just like this green piece of Play-Doh. It's all green. No impurities there. It's just green. I thought about using gold, but I didn't want to get mugged on the way out of the church. But it's all pure. It's all green. Oh, man, the kids are in here. I might get mugged now. It's all green. There's no issues at all. No issues at all. And this is how everybody starts out in their walk with God. This is how everybody starts out. 
They all start out all pure. You have your salvation moment. You know, you hear the gospel and it's like, ah, and the, you know, the heaven's open and you come to Jesus and it's great. And then you start out and it's all like this. It looks great. Pure. All green. We're good. No problem. But then what happens over time? As we allow ourselves to get mixed. It's not just about making sure that I'm serving God and doing it for the right reasons. It becomes, well, I, I mean, it, it's not that bad. They, they should, you know, the people on the board should probably know I'm one of the top givers. They should know that. They should, they should see how much I give consistently. And you know what? I don't know how many people know this, but they, they need to know, they need to pay attention to that I come early and serve on the setup team. So people need to know that. And, and I, just, I, just want people, I just want people to know that. And then the, uh, the other part is, you know, they, they, I don't feel like, you know, that they, that they really pay attention to me all the time. So um, they need to know this particular thing and how much work I do in the small groups ministry. So I'm just going to go ahead and do that. And then, I mean, the people that are outside of the church, I mean, they really need to know what I'm doing. So they need to know how much of I love God and I've got the coffee mug and everything like that. When people ask me where the verse came from, I'm like, I don't know, but Ephesians is cool. So we add it in there. And then before you know it, you get mixed around because your motives are all wrong. And you go around and we start, and this is just the nature of it. And your heavenly father looks and goes, come on, I can't reward you for that. I, I want to help you, but you're sitting around and you're doing it so that people can, people can see how great you are. People can see how, how effective you are. People can see how awesome you are. You want people to see how generous you are. You want people to see how, how righteous you are. And Jesus says, that's not the goal. And this is why it's so dangerous. Because before too long, what started pure is now mixed. And those of you that have OCD, I'm sorry I just did this to you. <laughs> but if you're not careful... If you don't watch what you do, you don't check your heart and your motivations, your life will look something like this. It'll be mixed. It won't be pure anymore. Your motivations, and it's so difficult because why this, this is, how many of you know you're never going to get this back to normal? Parents in the room, you know what I'm talking about. This is, this is never going back to normal. Luckily, it was a dollar from Weiss, okay? But it's never going back to normal. And this danger that we run into in our lives is when you begin to mix your motives on why you're worshiping or your relationship with your Heavenly Father, when those motives begin to get mixed with fleshly motives and earthly motives, you look something like this. You just want people to know. And yeah, there's a little bit of God and spirituality there, and I love it. Yeah, I love Jesus. Yeah, I love, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you, right? And I'll clap on Sunday. But the relationship is hollow. Because we're mixed. Our motivations are mixed. And our behavior isn't pure. And again, the problems, the problem becomes that we don't realize it until it's too late. We don't recognize how bad it is until it's too late. Because by the time somebody tells you that, it's too late late because the heart of the matter is your heart now the application everybody goes okay Brandon that was really good I feel really bad about myself what do I do now 
right? Like, what's the, what's the solution? And I actually had an uncomfortable situation where my boss told me that I actually did that. And I was like, well, that's not great. How do I not do that? And I thought about it and figured it out. And from that point on, I started a habit. And it's a habit I think every one of us should probably start. For a Jesus follower, I think we absolutely should because I think it reflects Christ. We help when it doesn't help me. You say yes when it doesn't help you. That in those moments and in those situations where somebody needs help or asks for help and they can't give you anything on the back end, the answer should immediately be absolutely. Because when you begin to take the attitude of help when it doesn't help me, when that begins to happen, you begin to untangle this mess. And I'm not going to try to do that. But you get to untangle, you can begin to untangle the mess. Because there's no way it can be the motivation anymore. There's nothing there. It can't be. It has to be the right motives. Help when it doesn't help me. And you go, okay, well, how does that relate to my relationship with God? Serve when it doesn't serve you. Give when you don't get anything. And then give, serve, do all those things that God has called you to do. But don't do it looking around. Do it quietly, or the way Jesus says, secretly. When you do those things, do it with the right motivations and with the right heart. Because nobody wants to end up like this. Nobody does. And it doesn't happen right away. It doesn't happen one big moment. It happens slowly over time, which is why Jesus was so clear when he said, blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. That when you're mixed, you can't see God. Now, how different would the world look if people behaved that way? How different would your spiritual life look if you weren't always trying to get something out of God? How different would the world look as a whole if Christians just started to behave this way? If we started to behave what we believe? And we started to apply it to our life. And we were pure in heart. And every time somebody interacted with us, they were like, oh man, they're so wholesome. They're so good. I mean, when they say they're going to be there, they are, they are there. And there's no question about why they're there. They're there because they love me. They're there because they love me. They care for my family. That's why they're there. They're not there with mixed emotions or mixed motives or mixed, you know, intentions. It's clear. They are here for me. And it's a struggle. And it's hard. Because the world around us and everything around us tells us you got to have something for you. In fact, there was a phrase we had in the Marine Corps called with them. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? Why am I here? Why am I doing it? And when you remove that from your vocabulary, and you remove that from who you are, and you remove that, you begin to untangle it. And according to Jesus, these are his words, not mine, you'll see God when your intentions and your motives are pure. So, what's your motive? Why do you do what you do? Why do you serve? Why do you give? Why do you, why do you attend? Why do you sing? Why do you read your Bible? 
Why do you pray? Why do you come to youth group? Why do you drop your kids off in the back? Why do you behave the way you do with your husband or your wife? Why do you behave the way you do with your kids? What are your motivations? Are they pure? Or are they mixed? It's a question we have to wrestle to the ground. With that, let's pray.